Today's scripture reading is Revelation 3, 1 through 6. If you have a Bible, we'd love to have you follow along with us. If you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. Please feel free to grab one on the tables in the vestibule on your way out. Again, our reading is Revelation 3, 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, the words of him who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Remember then when you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would take these words written down so long ago, and would you make them alive and real in our lives, our hearts, and our church this morning. God, we ask that through your spirit that you would speak, God, that you would reveal more of who we are, who you are, and how through Jesus we can be made whole. God, we long for that, and we depend on you in that work. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Death in Yellowstone. These are the kind of books I, uh, I read for fun, by the way. Uh, it's all you really need to know about me. Uh, I mean, it's like, it's got everything, right? It's about the original national park and everyone who has died there, Right? It's perfect for a fall afternoon, isn't it? Uh, I mean, yes, it's, it's a bit morbid, okay? Uh, but it's, it's really about, it's, it's about our desire as humans for, for wildness and wilderness, right? The reason we go to these places, and it's beautiful, right? It's unbelievable. As well as our ignorance and arrogance when we get there. The reason we die in these places. So it's tragic, but instructive. Well, the book opens with a story in July of, of 1981. Uh, a man by the name of David Allen Kerwin, age 21. He did not pay any attention to all of the warnings about how hot the hot springs are. He did not keep his dog on a leash as is required by the park. And when his dog jumped into a hot spring, David jumped in after. The water was 202 degrees. Now his friend was, was there and, and quickly pulled him out of the water. And, and his brain was okay. And in fact, he, he was in very, very little pain. Between the shock and the destruction of all of his nerve endings, he actually felt okay. He, he was coherent, he even, he even confessed to his friend in that moment, well, that was stupid. Yeah, that was really dumb. And he kept talking to his friend as if everything was going to be okay. This was dumb, but, you know, it's going to be all right, right? 
But his friend knew instantly. And in fact, the book says that, that he had this overwhelming sensation that he was walking and talking with a dead man. Again, mentally, he was okay. He assumed he would be fine. But essentially, he was dead already and just didn't know it yet. He died the next day. Well, thanks, Nathan, for that. Uh, some of you are picturing the uh, Debbie Downer sketch from SNL. It's like, why? Like, why are, why are we doing this? In fact, I'm not, I'm not making this up. My, my wife, Kelly, she actually said, like, I can't tell these stories at home anymore. I'm still reading this book. So she's like, no more. You can't retell them. We're done. Okay, so you're all I have. So, um, <laughs> no, but why, why, am I, why am I telling the story? Well, because I think it can happen again to us. And I'm, and I'm afraid that how easy it is that for you and I, we can be dead without even knowing it. Because we can, we can look great on the outside. Our reputations can be perfect. I mean, on Sundays, people, we're crushing it. Just look at us. I mean, if Jesus loves anybody, it's got to be us, right? Right? The church is growing. Things are happening. You all look fantastic by the way. We're alive. Right? But inwardly, inside the places that nobody looks, the the things that, that matter most, it doesn't just happen to hikers in Yellowstone. It can happen to individuals. It can happen to churches. It could happen to Christ's community, and it could happen to you. We can be dead but not even know it. And this is, this is precisely the problem that's, that's happening in the church in Sardis. So if you haven't already, turn, turn to Revelation chapter 3. We've been, we've been in Revelation these past, these past few weeks. And, and we're hanging out in this early section of Revelation where Jesus himself uh, like has John write seven letters, seven individual letters, to seven individual local churches in the the first century. And so we've been going through these letters week after week to figure out what what God's message is for his church today. And this, this letter begins, Jesus says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. Good for you. But you are dead. And what's interesting, in all the other letters here, when Jesus says that, when he, Jesus says, I know your works, it's, it's always, in all the other letters, it's always followed by a compliment. Like a little attaboy church. Like he has things, rebuke to say, you know, he has encouragement to give, but it's, it's that, the, I know your works, like you're, you're, you're okay, but not here. No. Here he has no encouragement. His church, we can be dead, and not even know it. Okay, so who is, who is Sardis? Like, who, who are these people? What is this, this city? We need to understand a little of the context before we can understand this letter. So Sardis was an ancient city, like ancient, ancient. Even at the time of this writing, the city was probably 1,200 years old. Old city, right? And, and they were known as one of the most glorious cities in all of Asia. But in the past... 
Like all, all that had faded away. In fact, just a few decades before this was written, the, the city had been devastated in a, in a terrible earthquake. And so Sardis had a reputation of glory, but their glory was ancient history. And the only, the only accomplishment that Jesus can point to in the church there in Sardis is their reputation, what they're known for. See, there's no, there's no enemies listed in this letter. You know, the other ones talk about suffering, persecution, those, those kinds of things come out. Not, not here, probably because the church in Sardis, they just blend in. Like they've so compromised to their culture that they are indistinguishable from their culture, which means really like they are their own worst enemy because they are self-deceived. They are their biggest problem and their, their cocky self-deception there. Well, we're alive, aren't we? We're doing great. Everybody knows it, right? That attitude is about to destroy them. And for some of you, like if you're, if you're not a Christian, one of the reasons perhaps that you're not a follower of Jesus is because you have way too many experiences with churches and Christians who are dead but think they're alive. Like you've seen it, like you've experienced that. That's one of the things that, that pulls us away from, from Jesus. And people, this, this frightens me. Like I don't, I don't want this to be us. And so why does Jesus call them dead? And what are, what are the symptoms that we could diagnose in us as well as in them? Well, I think, there, I think there are three things here at the start of this passage. Three things. We might be dead if. First, we might be dead if our reputation is alive, but our works are in life support. Our reputation is alive, but our works are on life support. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a, a medical doctor and preacher in the last century. Uh, he would talk about how you can, you can visit a hospital, right? You can walk down the halls of a hospital, and you can see somebody who looks like death. I mean, you're ready to call the morgue, right? But it's the flu. And, and like in 24 hours, they're going to be fine. But in that same hospital, you can walk down, and you can see somebody who looks perfect, who looks great, who looks like us but is five minutes away from a terminal diagnosis. If you base everything on appearance, if you trust your reputation, you might be dead already. Let me, let me read again, starting in, in verse one. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! And strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. It's so easy, isn't it, to fall into the trap of reputation, isn't it? To just sort of stand by on our own, our own laurels, our own, our own goodness, right? And there's a few ways that this manifests itself, I think, for us. We can, we can fall into the at least I'm good enough trap, right? Kind of the people think I'm okay, I avoid the really bad things. I believe the right things. I can play the part. I'm good enough, right? Or at least, at least better than some. And we can grow complacent, hypocritical, judgmental. And in a culture obsessed with appearance, 
with what is seen. I mean, this, is, this one is so tempting for us, isn't it? It's so easy to do for us to fall into, and we could be dead already. Or, or we, might, we might fall into the I'll get to it eventually trap. Because for Sardis, it's not that they, they didn't have good works, it's that they're, they're not finished, they're, they're incomplete, right? So you might say, yeah, I know, I know my soul needs work. I know I've got these habits I've got to work on. I know, I know that my relationships are, but I have time. I'll get to it eventually. I mean, Sardis, the city, they, they were also known for this famous temple to Artemis. It was huge, but it was unfinished. It was incomplete, just like their works. We'll get to it eventually, and we can be dead already. Or, or we can fall into the the good old days trap when it comes to reputation. Churches love this one, right? We, we love to think about the good old days and, and look back as if everything was, was perfect. And, and maybe we do it individually as well. And maybe, maybe you think, well, of course I'm following Jesus. I had this incredible experience back in college. Or, or, or 10, 10 years ago, like I did this incredibly sacrificial thing. And maybe you've got this great past with Jesus. What about today? Because with, with any one of these traps, we are trusting in our reputation rather than trusting Jesus, which is death. And no, we're not, we're not saved by our works, of course not. But our good works are evidence of whether or not we're truly alive. Imagine, for example, someone coming up to you and showing you their birth certificate. And they're like, see, I'm alive. This proves it. Like, see, I've got, I've got the paper. Like, who cares? Like, that doesn't prove anything. Like, you know the person is alive by their heart beating, their mind thinking, their, their you know, breathing, their talking. Like, you don't, you know, like, their actions prove that they're alive. But this is, this is what so many of us do. This is what so many churches can fall into, right? See, I prayed a prayer. I got baptized. We built this building. We hosted that event. And I'm not... I'm not minimizing those things. Jesus isn't discounting the past, but but he's saying, prove today that you're alive. Not with your reputation, but with your good works. Otherwise, it'd be like carrying around your eighth grade report card to prove how smart you are. Nobody cares, right? We might be dead if our reputation is alive, but our works are on life support. Second, second, we we might be dead if we are awake on Sunday, but asleep on Monday. Awake on Sunday, but asleep on Monday. Verse verse 2, right? Again, Jesus says, wake up and strengthen what remains. Oops, sorry. Yeah, let me go back to one and two. So I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. He says, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Do you notice how Jesus, it almost feels like he's mixing his metaphors, right? 
Like, I thought they were dead, now they're just asleep, right? It's, it feels a little bit strange, but this is a common thing without, within Scripture, right? That, that death and, and sleep are often used as, as metaphors, right? Or, or this idea of waking up or of resurrection, they're often used interchangeably. And so it's almost, it's almost like Jesus saying, okay, you're not dead, dead. In fact, to quote the, uh, the princess bride, they're only mostly dead, Right? And mostly dead is slightly alive. Sorry, I don't, I don't think that's what Jesus looks like. Um, but you get the idea. Like, they're, they're mostly dead is kind of the, the, the metaphor he's going with. They're, they're asleep at the wheel. Because remember, again, they're not, they're not being persecuted. And that's probably because they look like everyone else. They're good little Christians on Sunday. They gather together. They sing the songs. They listen to the sermon. But Monday just like their Roman neighbors. Same practices, same values, same lifestyles. They're awake on Sunday, but asleep on Monday. And let me just say, like, as a pastor, I, really, I don't like it when you sleep on Sundays. Um, and some of you are very naive. Like, I can see you. you, don't, you I know you don't think that I can, but I actually, I can see you, and it's hurtful, okay? Um, <laughs> And actually about eight of you just sat up really straight right then. It's like, I saw that too, okay? Like, I'm not, I'm not fooled. But listen, listen, I, I, I don't want you to sleep here. But I'd rather you sleep here than out there. I mean, truly, right? Because out there, that's our mission. It's when we leave this place, that, that is our primary place of good works, of, of loving our neighbor, of serving Jesus. I mean, one of the reasons their works are incomplete is because they think their Sunday reputation is enough. It's like they're showing up for practice but missing every game. And Jesus says, that's not going to work for me. And yet, we're so sleepy, aren't we? Oh, we're just, we're drowsy all the time to the things that matter most. And yes, Sunday, Sunday ought to be a place that wakes, wakes us up. Your Monday needs a good Sunday. And yet for many of us, we live our days outside these walls, half asleep to what matters most. And listen again, if this is, if this is one of the reasons that keeps you from being a Christian, you know, all the sleepy Christians, sleepy churches that you've, you've witnessed, like, you just need to know, like, you and Jesus are on the same page here. This is not living. I mean, have you ever tried to reason with someone who's half asleep? Like, it just can't be done. It's, it's like the, the wife who walks in and, you know, she tells her husband, hey, by the way, he's in bed, he's, he's asleep, the house is on fire. And he's like, sure, sure. And he goes in and he makes a pot of coffee, right? Like it hasn't, it hasn't registered. And you've had those situations, maybe not that extreme, but like we, we know, we, we, we're missing it. And it's dangerous. Ultimately, it can be death, people. Because it's not reality. Which leads us to the third thing. We might be dead if we neglect what's really at stake. If we neglect what's really at stake, because listen, I can, I can hear all of this. I could read this passage and think, okay, fine. Maybe I'll do a little bit better, all right? But it's not, it's not that big of a deal. I'm fine. I mean, Revelation Jesus, like the one here, he just needs to like 
like, cool, cool down a little bit, right? Grace, people. Like, isn't this, isn't this what we do? We just, I'm, I'm not that bad. I so badly want to show the clip from Monty Python, you know, the ridiculous sword fight. You know the one. I'm not going to. There's kids present. But you know what I'm saying, right? The, it's only a flesh wound, right? I mean, we, that's, that's, that's our motto. I'm not that bad. It's okay. I can do this on my own. I'm going to be fine. Like that guy in Yellowstone, it's, it was stupid. It was a mistake. But it's all going to work out, isn't it? Actually, no, it, it won't. Or at least it may not. I mean, look, look at what Jesus says in verse, verse 3. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. I mean, did you catch that there? Against you? Against this church? Now, what's interesting here, again, you've got to understand the context a little bit. You see, this, the city of Sardis as a whole was considered impenetrable. It was, it was built on top of that, that high rock, that high hill. And, and in its glory days, the, the phrase capturing Sardis was like an idiom for the impossible. Like nobody could do it. You couldn't do it. it was in, they were invincible. Built on high cliffs. Up, up a thick wall around it, and you just imagine like the watchmen, they would, they would sit out, they'd watch the gates, they'd watch the walls, and they were invincible. But they wouldn't watch the cliffs. Because, I mean, who's going to climb up those cliffs, right? Nobody's going to do that. Well, 546 BC, somebody did. They climbed right up the back door, they climbed into the city, they walked right through the city, right up to the front doors, and let all the enemies in. Sacked the city. And you kind of feel bad for him. It's like, okay, they made a mistake, should have watched. But like, it happened again. In, uh, in 214 BC, once again, the city was sacked in the same way. I mean, fool me once, right? But twice? Now, this, this happened long before any of this was written. But you know they'd heard the stories, right? Of course they did. Never going to let that happen a third time. And it's almost like Jesus here is saying, like, that's what I'm going to do. Like, if you don't wake up and watch, it's going to happen again, not to the city, to the church. It'll be me coming against you. Church, we cannot trust the cliffs. We cannot trust our our reputation, our own attempts at good works. We can't trust our, our past or any of the things that we think somehow might save us. We're dead already. We can be dead, but not even know it. And yet Jesus also makes it clear we can wake up before it's too late. Like, there's still hope here. We can wake up before it's too late, right? Mostly dead means slightly alive. So look at verse 2. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. And then skip down a little bit. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Like you say, church, we can wake up. We can be resurrected. Well, well how? Well, first we wake up by turning around. 
turning around, when we see the path that we're on, our, our misplaced trust, the inadequacy of our works, turn around. Like Jesus says, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Repentance is the idea of, of turning, right? Of turning around. This is, this is essentially, this is like Jesus saying, you need CPR, okay? This is the ICU. This is when you grab the defibrillator, right? It's when we repent. When we admit that our ways are not the same as God's ways and that his ways are better and then we realign our ways with his. This is, this is us coming to Jesus, asking him to wake us up. Jesus, would you revive my dead heart? Jesus, I'm asleep. I don't even see it. Would you wake me up? And if you haven't done that, you're not living. He's inviting you. He wants you. He loves you. It is time to wake up. Turn around. Second. Second, we wake up by working out. By working out. I mean, look, look again what he says. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Like time is almost up, but it's not, it's not too late. Strengthen what remains. Just as, as physical exercise can, can lengthen your life, it increases the quality of life, right? If you're in good physical shape, you tend to be more mentally alert, right? More energy, more awake. And so also we can strengthen our whole being through healthy practices, I mean, I know I said I'd rather you sleep on Sunday than Monday, but, like, you need both, right? Like, we, one, of the, one of the practices that we need, to, one of the exercises that we need to, to stay in, together, like, is to do this week after week together, a healthy Sunday rhythm at a church that wants to equip you for Monday. Like, that's essential for your strength, and you need it every week. I need it every week. We also work out by spending time in prayer, like the, just the classic disciplines of the Christian life, of, of every day crying out to God, I cannot do this on my own, and, and turning to his word to look for answers, his, his voice back to you. We exercise by making time to serve others, by, by living generous lives. Like all of these things strengthen what remains, keeping us awake, preparing us for Jesus. It's turning around, working out, and finally we wake up by dressing up. I know I don't mean we care what you wear on Sundays, but look, look, how, this, look how this letter ends. Verse, verse 4. He says, yet yeah, you have still a few names in Sardis. Okay, there's a, there's a handful, right? People who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy but the dead ones, the sleeping ones, they have soiled their garments. I guess that's what happens when Jesus comes after you. I don't know. Um, I'm pretty sure it means something different, okay? Uh, but like, you get the idea, right? And yet, look, look at the alternative, verse, verse 5. Like, there's so much hope here. He says, but the one who conquers, who overcomes, will also be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. The one who wakes up, not only do they live, not only are they truly awake, they will be dressed in Jesus. 
Like the symbol of, of white, of, of putting him on here. Like this, this symbol of beauty, of goodness, of purity, of all that is good and right. And they will, they will live forever with him. Like this, this is a picture of all that is in store for the people of God. Into eternity. And so you have to ask yourself, do you want this to be true of you? Or do you want to go on sleeping? I have a confession to make. I mean, I, I recently read uh, an excellent little book called The Heaven Promise by Scott McKnight. See, not all the books I read are terrible. Although I guess they all are about death. Um, anyway, uh, but seriously, though, I, like in reading this, like it just reminded me of how sleepy my soul has become. Like how, how easy it is to just doze off because I like, like many of you, I live as if this is it. I've got my 80 years at best, you know, if I'm lucky and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab the most joy out of it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get whatever I can and like I'm everything, I'm so tethered to the here and now, like and everything is about now and I've got, I only have this time, I've got to, I've got to do it now and with that comes this fear of death of, of when it's over. I think I'd fallen asleep like many of us. But like reading this book, I can't tell you how many times in reading I had to pause and think to myself, I, I actually believe this stuff. Like, oh yeah, right. That my name is written in the book of life. And because of Jesus, I will live forever. Even if I die, I will never die. And I will be clothed in, in him. And so I will, I, me, I will be made whole. And all that is wrong with the world will be made, made right. And anything that I've missed out on or lost will somehow be made up for me. And that, that Jesus himself will confess my name before the Father. He'll say, Nathan's with me. That's my story. And not, not because I'm awake enough or good enough. Man, I'm so sleepy. But because he died for me and I trust in him, that he rose again for me and in his resurrection I too am raised and daily he is waking me up. Like reading, reading this book for me, this reminder of heaven, this promise that is in store for God's people, it was like, it was like an alarm clock going off, but like in a good way. It was like, it was like waking up slowly and realizing that it's summer break, right? Realizing that there is an endless amount of adventure and joy and delight ahead in store. It's like waking up with Jesus and finally seeing reality for what it really is. It feels like living. And there's still a chance for us Wake up, church. Let's pray. Jesus, would you wake us up? God, the parts in our lives that we are so sleepy and we don't even realize it. God, would you wake us up? Would you breathe fresh life into us by the power of your spirit through, through your resurrection? God, help us to believe, help us to trust, help us to know that this life that you call us to 
is hard, but it's worth it. God, would you give us that joy? Would you give us that vision of reality even now? Even as we come now to to worship you, to delight in you, God, would you wake us up? We pray this in Christ's name.